I'm coming to your cities. I recently did an event in New York. It was awesome. I loved bringing real couples up on stage. We had no idea what was going to happen. The crowd loved it. I was sharing real numbers. It was a blast. And I want to do it again. I'm looking to coach couples on stage at my next two live events, one in Philly on June 1st, one in Boston on June 4th. If you and your partner want help connecting over money, you want to solve a big financial challenge you have, please apply at iwt.com slash live coaching. If you and your partner struggle to come up with a shared vision of your rich life, if you have different priorities about spending and saving, if you just can't get on the same page financially, I would love to coach you live on stage in your city. It is free of charge. You can apply at iwt.com slash live coaching. I'll see you in Boston and Philly. You know, money doesn't have to be boring. I get a lot of questions of people who have set up their accounts, who have money being saved, and they're like, what now? What's next? How am I supposed to design my rich life? That is why I created the journal. The journal is something you can do either on your own or with a partner. Imagine yourself 15 minutes in the morning, you have a cup of steaming tea, and you're sitting down following the prompts that help you envision what your rich life is. What's your perfect week? What's your perfect month, year? This journal is designed as a no numbers journal. It's not technical, but it's going to help you understand what you truly value and also what you don't care about. I recommend you pick up a copy of this journal. You can do it solo or with a partner and it will help you design your rich life. Get it at any bookstore now. And I definitely operate from more of a scarcity mindset than not. This was maybe two years ago. I upgraded my computer from a laptop to a desktop. And it took me almost a week to unpackage it because I was honestly driving myself crazy with like, what did I do? I fucked up. I can't afford this. Can I return this? Should I return it? I was like, you know, so scared that I was like, oh my gosh, what if I can't afford a vet bill or something else? In my mind, it was one that almost felt really scary and irresponsible. Even now, it sort of overwhelms me to be able to be in a place to afford nice things for myself. You know, I came from an immigrant background. There was never enough money. Seeing the stress that money played in my parents' relationship, I feel like it was inevitable that I would run into the same thing. I think that if you don't change anything, you will find yourself continuing to argue and to spin about money, and it will become even more painful. I really don't like the sound of that. Thanks for joining me on part two of this absolutely fascinating conversation with Nate and Serena. Now, they're both in their 20s. They're engaged and living together, but they have a big income disparity. Serena makes $80,000, and Nate makes $45,000 a year today, but soon he'll make $300,000 a year as a doctor. Last week, on part one of this conversation, Serena told us that they split the rent about 50-50, that Nate pays for dinner most of the time, and that she wants to be taken care of, even though she earns nearly twice as much as he does. But when I asked if she'd be comfortable paying 50-50 once he starts making 300K, she said no. In Nate and Serena's relationship, you can hear deeply embedded gender roles, hidden expectations, and grappling with changing incomes. I have to tell you that I really appreciate their candor in this two-part conversation. 
On today's episode, we're going to go much deeper than last week. Remember that you can watch this couple on my YouTube channel, where I'd encourage you to subscribe to get new episodes. I'm Ramit Sethi, and this is I Will Teach You To Be Rich. Serena, how much do you make yes. per year? Um, I make 80K before taxes. Okay, cool. And uh, Nate, what about you? You make 45? Uh, yeah. All right, fine. Let me make sure I understand. So you're, you're each paying $1,000. Your rent went up. That made it very difficult for you, Nate, to afford it. Um, Serena, you wanted to stay in this particular area. So you had a back and forth and you concluded with Serena, you're paying a little bit more like $160 more per month for this apartment. At first, I was not thrilled at the prospect of spending more when we're both splitting the apartment. But, you know, after thinking about it, like now I'm completely fine with it and it's totally normal and, you know, I don't mind at all. I'm okay paying $160 extra. The most successful couples I see, especially in situations like this where you have separate incomes, et cetera, is proportional. So proportional means if you're making 65% of the income, you pay 65% of the joint expenses. And that would probably suggest that you pay more for this rent and that Nate pay less. How would you feel about that? It's kind of like with the talking about the check, like I think it would be really hard for me at first, just because it's not something I've done ever before and not something I even... I think would have considered. Yeah. It just wouldn't come to mind at first just because I can very easily rattle off other things that are also important to me with how I spend my money. Your 401k, your investments, your travel, family, gifts, all of those things. For sure. You can always find something to put a lot of money towards. But I have to ask you this. Who's your person? Nate. And of all those things, shouldn't Nate be up there somewhere? Yeah. I don't think I've ever really thought of Nate as, okay, this is someone that is a very important part of my life, if not among, you know, like, if not the most important. But I'm, the way I spend my money doesn't really reflect that. And I think it's because I've never really thought of money as emotional. For me, I think money has always been transactional. That's amazing. Think about it now. Now that you have this new lens, it's almost like you took off the glasses you're wearing, which were transactional, and you put on this, this uh, red pair of glasses, and they're emotional, okay? And now that you have this set of lenses on, now take a look back at some of the things we talked about. The fact that Nate comes home and within 15 minutes, you're asking him those questions. With the emotional lenses on, what do you now see about that scenario? I see him coming home in his scrubs, looking really cute, saying that I miss him, maybe offering to pour him a glass of wine, talking about our day, and maybe like ahead of time, deciding on like when is like a neutral time for us to talk about just like more serious things in our relationship, whether it's money or, you know, just something else that's affecting us. But I think when he comes home from work is not that time. Um, because it's about more than just 
your need to check the box. Right? Although that's very important. You want to do it. We should find a way to do that. Absolutely. Yeah. But the, the message of money communicates more than just numbers. What money messages did you learn growing up? Seeing the stress that money played in my parents' relationship, I feel like it was inevitable that I would run into the same thing. You know, I came from an immigrant background, so there was never enough money. It was very much that sort of energy growing up. I feel like they were always like, you know, be as conservative as you can. Why? Like until, like be as like cautious with your money as you can until you are a hundred percent certain that like you are covered to, to pay more than, you know, the lowest amount or whatever. Like, okay. Like when do, I, do you believe that? Do I believe that? Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Okay. I think so. I kind of believe um, that too, but I yeah. think that can be taken too far perverted. I think it can be misconstrued and you end up fixating on like $10 expenses. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. And I definitely, I think like operate from more of a scarcity mindset than not. Mm-hmm. Um, Can you give an I example think, of when you operated from a scarcity mindset? I think like, I feel like Nate would be able to come up with one like in five seconds. I know Nate's got but, a million. Just hang on, Nate. I want to hear from you. Um. Oh, this was, okay. This was during the pandemic. This was maybe two years ago. I, we're all working from home, right? I was like, you know what would really make work from home way easier and way more efficient and just generally better? Like if I upgraded my computer from a laptop to a desktop. And this is something I could comfortably buy. I didn't have to save a penny for it. I literally had, I just had to dip a little bit into savings and very comfortably roll up to the Apple store and buy myself like a, a desktop. So I bought it online. And it took me almost a week to unpackage it because I was honestly driving myself crazy with like, what did I do? I fucked up. I can't afford this. Can I return this? Should I return it? I could list off so many reasons why it was a great investment. And now I can see that it really was great. And I use it all the time and I don't feel guilty about buying it. But in the moment, I was like, So I was like, you know, so scared that I was like, oh my gosh, what if I can't afford a vet bill or something else or groceries or something else? You know, I was really scared that this, you know, very like no one's buying computers every month. I mean, maybe some people are, but I'm not. It was this very, you know, like isolated investment that I made. But in my mind, it was one that almost felt really scary and irresponsible. You like that feeling? No, it sucks. What did you get out of all the agonizing for 10 days? I think like letting it sit there was like my way of like not accepting it for myself. And this is one thing that like, I think does sort of tie back into just like how I grew up. Um, I think even now, it sort of overwhelms me to be able to be in a place to afford nice things for myself. But I still felt really 
conflicted over accepting it and unwrapping it. It was my way of accepting it and leaving it in the nice shiny box was my way of like almost being in like, you know, limbo sort of, of like, I own it, but I don't have it, if that makes sense. I'm putting some pieces together. You growing up with your immigrant parents encouraging you to be cautious. The fact that you spent your 20s in New York being broke, like so many people do. And the fact that only recently you've gotten this big raise. But it seems like maybe psychologically you haven't yet caught up to your financial situation. Would that be fair? Oh, yeah. No, I am. I would say I'm very much not caught up with where I'm actually at. Yeah. Um, And to me, this is a great moment because you're 29. And if we can identify that and start working on it now, gosh, you can really improve your money psychology versus, you know, I talk to people who are 55 years old. They have millions in the bank and they worry about a $50 charge here and there. I don't want Mm -hmm. you to have to do that. You know, it's really hard for people to turn the page. Once you learn the skill of making money, it's relatively easy to increase that. But to change your money psychology is very hard because it's rarely taught. And frankly, it's not really valued in this society. Anyone can be rewarded financially and socially for working hard and getting a raise. Just think about when that's happened to you. But how do you get rewarded for having a monthly money conversation with your partner or creating a rich life list and automating money for your anniversary or perhaps even taking a lower paying job because it fits the type of lifestyle that you want. The truth is those type of decisions are not rewarded in our society. So it's much more common to meet people who have lots and lots of money, but fewer money psychology skills. If you ever follow me on Instagram, sometimes you'll see me post about my behind the scenes travel experiences, coffee tours, salsa making classes in Mexico, all kinds of culinary stuff in India. And I'll get a lot of people saying, where do I find that Kyoto notepad maker that you found? And one place you can find that is Viator. In fact, my wife and I used Viator to book a Segway tour where we took a tour of a new city and we had an amazing experience, something we never would have thought of doing on our own. They offer everything from simple tours to extreme adventures, And with over 300,000 bookable experiences in 190 countries, there's something for everybody. Plus, Viator's travel experiences have millions of real travel reviews, so you have the information you need to book the best travel activities for your trip. When you book a travel experience with Viator, there's always flexibility and support with free cancellation, payment options, and 24-7 service. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. One app. Over 300,000 travel experiences you'll remember. Do more with Viator. I get tons of email every single day, and I want to give you a behind-the-scenes look at how I manage emails from my team, from my family, and from you. I use a piece of software called Superhuman, and this is an email software that I actually pay for out of my own pocket. It works with your existing email service like Gmail or Outlook, And let me share how it saves me over 10 hours a week. So here are a few things I love about it. First off, it splits my inbox into different streams. So my important emails come into one place. It's not cluttered with a bunch of subscriptions everywhere. 
Next, I use keyboard shortcuts, unlike you barbarians who literally click and peck through every single email. U to mark it unread, S to star it, J or K to cycle through messages. And I use keystrokes to schedule messages, like when I want to ask one of my coworkers a question, but I don't want to send them an email on a Saturday. Now, I can work through dozens of emails in minutes using this. And Superhuman just introduced an AI feature, which allows you to take a huge email with all these people chiming in and automatically summarize what's going on in a few bullet points. It'll even draft emails for you. So if you want to buy back your time, Superhuman is a no-brainer to me. It's something I spend my own money on and I love it. Right now, all IWT listeners will get a free month of Superhuman. You can get started at superhuman.com slash Ramit. That's superhuman.com slash Ramit, R-A-M-I-T. Can I just point out that the two of you are soon going to make at least $380,000 together? Yeah, that's like, I can't even process that. Same, like, honestly. You might as well be saying you're going to make like 380 Monopoly monies together. <laughs> well, <laughs> should we talk about that? Because the fact that you can't process it doesn't mean it's not going to happen. And the fact that you both have compartmentalized that very large top 5% income earners away is allowing you to fight over tiny questions about dinner out. So can the two of you have a conversation? Like, can you actually just sit and with the concept that you're both together going to be making almost $400,000 a year in less than three years? Okay. I don't know what we would do with all of that money, to be honest. Um, We don't. And it feels like it would be happening. Really, us. Yeah, honestly, I filled out the same form with the future earning or whatever. And it basically was, I guess I'm paying a lot more towards my debt and savings. I I just, I don't know. That's part of it. I don't know what it means. I don't know. It's literally six, six to 10 times more than I've ever made in my life. And it's going to literally happen in the space of like one month. And I, it's just like, I've grappled with it and I thought about it and I just, it's just so foreign to me. Serena, what's going to change? If, If nothing changes in terms of the way the two of you communicate about money, behave, treat money four years from now, what's going to happen? I mean, it's hard for me to think like granularly. I think like four years from now, it would be really awesome to get to a place where talking about money, thinking about money would be like a source of like potential, like what can we do with this money versus right now when we talk about it, it's it's hard to not be stressed about it. You, you think know? you'll stop the stress, um, the minute that he starts getting those like $30,000 a month paychecks? Not the minute. I think, I think we'll be closer to, um, closer to it. I think the stress will go down. That's for sure. I think it'll be easier to sign a check at dinner. Rent will be no question. I don't think the conversations will increase. I think what would happen is we would, the stress would go down. And so 
for us needing to have conversations about it would go down, but then we probably just wouldn't have any conversations because it's probably fine. But then that might start affecting the more longer term kind of goals that we both have. I think there's always going to be something too. Like today, it might be rent or it might be, you know, splitting a check. But, you know, if we bring life into this world, like that's a whole other thing that like is very much not on our radar right now. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, Private so or public school, be... renovation, yeah. vacation. Should we pay for our family to do X, Y, Z? Those are big decisions. Yeah. I think that making five times what you're making or whatever that number is, it's going to be a lot more. That's going to definitely reduce a lot of the day-to-day stress. Questions like, when are you going to pay me back? It's going to be gone. Questions like, uh, who's paying for dinner? Mm, Well, once you combine your finances, I think that question will go away because you can just use a joint credit card. So that's irrelevant. Right. But I think that if you don't change anything, that you will find yourself continuing to argue and to spin about money. And it will become even more painful because you'll say, why are we, one of you will say, why are we fighting about money? We make $400,000 a year. How can we still be fighting about money? And you're not going to know why you're still fighting. I really don't like the sound of that. Do you believe that that's possible? I think it's definitely possible. I I would like to know how to get ahead of it and, and avoid that fork yeah. in the road, though. Yeah. I want to show you how to do that, but I wanted to set the stage for the fact that just making more money does not solve your money problems. It's like a really common misconception. Basically, everybody thinks if I made $10,000 more or $25,000, if I had $100,000 in the bank, all my problems would vanish. And then they make it and they're like, oh shit, I'm still unhappy. I still worry about money all the time. My partner and I still fight. And it's the point is you need to work on two things. One is improving your tactical financial situation so that your conscious spending plan is all dialed in. The second part is the money psychology. How do we talk about money? What is our rich life? And that part is often neglected. Let me just tell you what I would do if it were me, knowing what I know about money. And I'm making 380K household income with all that debt. Oh my God, I would fucking crush it. I would have a debt payoff plan. Depending on my interest rate, I would invest the max of every account I could possibly do because I know in my early 30s, just three or four years of super aggressive investing, talking about 50, 60, 70, 80K in a year, would make me multimillionaire. Okay, make us multimillionaires. Just those first few years. Next, I would definitely increase my lifestyle spent. Let me say that again, because a lot of people, they go, the hedonic treadmill, fuck the hedonic treadmill. I go, fuck you. (laughs) The hedonic treadmill is real and we should accept it. If you're making $380,000, you're still living the same way you lived when you were making $45,000 as a resident. You fucked up somewhere bad. <laughs> you should go out to eat out more. You should take a nice trip. You should buy a new pair of shoes. Do a few things, but within reason. That's what the conscious spending plan, guilt-free spending category is for. 
because you got your percentages, it all flows. When you were making 45K and your guilt-free spending was 20 to 35%, you weren't spending that much, okay? It was probably below 20% because you're really frugal. Cool. When you're making $300,000 or $380,000 in household income, that 20 to 35% is quite sizable. Now, you could do it all with that kind of income. You have some choices to make, but that is how I would do it. I would stay in a small apartment. I would not go out and buy a house first day. I would keep the cars that I've got. I would invest super aggressively for three or four years. And by the way, during that time, I don't know about your income, Nate, if it's going to go up, but I bet your income will, Serena. And so you're starting from a place of aggressive investment and then slowly over time, maybe you have children, maybe you decide, okay, uh, I want to cool it a bit on the investing. We're investing like super aggressively. I would like to be able to take a couple more trips. That's a great discussion to have. Mm -hmm. That's just me. I'm not saying you have to do it, but that's what I would do. And I would absolutely dominate my finances if I had 380K household income like you two. God damn, that's how you make money exciting. I talk about taking the win on this podcast, but I'm about to take the win for myself. I just eviscerated the hedonic treadmill losers. I laid out a sensible spending plan, including eating out and traveling. I offered two options for debt payoff, including based on interest rates and an extremely aggressive investment plan to become a multimillionaire. Some dudes get excited about sports. I get excited about how to spend your newfound income, which just quadrupled overnight. You just learned something. A few years ago, I was at a tea tasting in New York with one of my buddies. I thought it was going to be a normal tea tasting. Suddenly, six people from Japan come in. They pour basically three thimblefuls of tea and we taste it. I've never tasted anything like that. And they tell us if we were to buy that, just the three thimblefuls, it would be $75. Now, drop for drop, that's the most expensive thing I've ever had to drink. Not all of us have the time or the money to buy that specific tea from that specific mountainside in Japan. But what if you could capture that feeling of the care and the love, even the way that they served it to us? What if you could bring that to your home every morning? Well, I want to introduce you to one of our newest sponsors, Peak Tea. What makes Peak Tea special is that the tea is cold extracted using only wild harvested leaves from 250-year-old tea leaves. That makes the tea rich in minerals, and other beneficial compounds. Now, the greatest part is that peak tea is zero prep. There's no tea bag that you have to steep for the perfect amount of time. Peak dissolves in cold or hot water in seconds. It's already pre-measured, it's perfectly brewed, and it's perfect to take if you travel. My team's been trying peak tea, and they especially love the Pu'er green teas. For a limited time, get up to 15% off and a free quiver with 12 tea samples with my link, peaklife.com slash Ramit. That's P-I-Q-U-E-L-I-F-E dot com slash Ramit, R-A-M-I-T. I have a friend of mine who's always cold. She told me she and her partner have totally different temperatures when they sleep. She goes to bed in a flannel pajama. She's got extra blankets. Her partner's running hot. So now she recently started testing the pod cover from 8sleep, one of our sponsors. Before she goes to sleep, she gets on the app, cranks up the heat, and when she gets into bed at night, it's already warm and waiting for her. The pod cover by 8sleep fits on your bed like a fitted sheet, and it collects information. It has sensors. The pod then uses that information to understand what you need to get better sleep. You can set it to heat up or cool down before you get into bed, 
It also adjusts while you sleep. And you can set it to change temperatures to gently wake you up in the morning. Best part, there are two zones. So if you run hot and your partner runs cold, you can each set your side of the bed to exactly how you want it. Improve the way you sleep by using my link at 8sleep.com slash Ramit for $200 off plus free shipping on their high-tech Pod 3 cover. That's 8sleep.com slash Ramit, E-I-G-H-T, sleep.com slash Ramit, R-A-M-I-T, for a better, smarter sleep. I remember, Ramit, when I signed a lease for an apartment I thought I couldn't afford. It was the last apartment I had in New York. And Nate, from the beginning, was like, what are you talking about? You're fine. And I was making less than I am now, mind you. And I was freaking out because it was like an amazing apartment. I It was nothing I didn't love about it. I got my own bathroom, which when does that ever happen in New York when you're when you have a roommate? And it was like with the computer. I was like, I've signed the lease, but I was still like, holy shit, what did I do? And there was not one month where I was like, oh no, I'm not going to be able to make rent. So I think it's like, this has been a pattern throughout my life. And it's not even about how much money I make. It's like, I'm always, my first inclination is to always feel really stressed and anxious that I can't afford something even before I even see if I can. Yes. And tell me, what do you get out of that? In a very long winded way, like the worst way possible, I find out that I actually can afford it and that I probably didn't need to stress so much in the first place. But yeah, So what does it get you then? Why not just skip to the end? Why do you like doing all those checklists? Why do you, why do you ask him more than once a week, when are you going to pay me back? When you know that his financial situation has not changed, what do you get out of the checklist? What do you get out of ruminating about the apple? What is it that you get? It's all tied together. Um, I don't know. I guess it's kind of like an itch that I like to scratch, but it doesn't actually do anything. When you cross that thing off that checklist, what do you feel? Like a temporary dopamine rush. Yeah. Yeah. You know, but it's not actually, it's not solving the issue. It doesn't, and again, like you said, it's not like anything else has changed. To make you feel in control? Oh my God. Yes. I'm such a control freak. How did you know? How did I know? I don't know. How did I know? (laughs) Oh my God. It is control. That's what it is. Serena, Serena, I could read the word control within 10 seconds of meeting you. Nate knows it. I know it. Every listener, every viewer on YouTube knows it. Everyone except you. God, I really love this job. So talk me through it. Talk me through those examples. Put on, put on the new set of lenses. <laughs> what are the lenses you're going to put on right now? The, the red ones that you talked about. Well, the, the red ones are the emotional ones. Put those aside for now. <laughs> you're putting on the control lenses. Oh now look God. at the world through control. When you create a checklist, yeah. what is it giving you? A semblance of being in charge, a semblance of knowing where everything is yeah. at any given time. Yeah. And when that Apple thing sat for days and you agonized over it, what did it give you? I think I was scared that I went out of control. Yeah. Okay. 
and when and and it gave you time to breathe yeah and confirm that you hadn't made a terrible decision because if you made a bad decision with a $2000 computer what would that mean for you i've lost control yeah and if you lose control what does it mean if you lose control with a $2000 purchase what does it mean for you i guess it I don't know. It's bad. It means that you could lose it all. Oh, yeah. No, it's like that's the slippery slope. Yeah, it's really slippery. If I if I buy a $2,000 computer, I might trip and fall and go completely bankrupt. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I'm hearing it too now. It's funny, right? I like to highlight the absurdity of it by just saying it out loud. Let's just shine a light on it. Yeah, it yeah. is absurd, but we all have absurd beliefs. Yeah. That's what's beautiful about this whole process. I don't think you're stupid for having that belief. I think actually I find beauty in the commonality that whether you make 80K like you do, raised by immigrant parents, or whether we have someone I know who makes $200,000 per month. She was on this podcast. There are similarities, so many. And that's really the beauty of talking about your rich life, right? We are all in this together. So you realize now that when you go through this process of worrying and using the word cautious, mm -hmm. what does it really get you? Nothing. Ugh. Nate, what did we Nate, just help, discuss? Help, help her out, Nate. You guys are partners. Yeah, please. Control. Control. Do, yeah. do you agree yeah. that Serena likes control? Absolutely. It's the same thing with the the check sharing earlier and you know being very on top of every you know financial situation and uh yeah that's why it absolutely. surprised me that you didn't ask him about his interest rate on his loan because i knew you were super into control but it seems like you compartmentalized that one away serena mm -hmm. no totally i would agree okay even though potentially that could affect you yeah wow can I ask you a question? Do you like being, you called it a control freak? Yeah. I wouldn't, I don't know how you want it. Some people call it a control freak. Some people, you know, they lead with being in control. Do you like that? Mm -hmm. Yeah. You like it. Okay. I love the honesty. Tell me this. When can control go right? Like when does it really give you yeah. advantages and where can it go wrong? I think when it goes right, it's like a sense of preparedness. And I think when it goes wrong is like when you've got like your blinders on and you can't see outside of that. Like, you know, like before we had this conversation, like I didn't have like potentially paying more in rent on the brain whatsoever. I didn't think about, um, you know, how treating Nate to dinner would make him feel. I love that. You know, I love that. I love both of those. Listen, I like to be in control too. I'm an entrepreneur. I want things done my way. I yeah. love it. But I also realize that it can be destructive. It can be destructive to me because it makes me less spontaneous. Yeah. And it becomes very narrow. Like you said, it puts blinders on. It's just like my way or the highway. And that is not good. I'm pretty quick to say no, which yeah. is something Nate um, frequently points out. Love it. You know? And then it can also be, um, it can rub people the wrong way. 
-hmm. right? Everything has to be in control. And some people just don't operate that way. Yeah. You know, I really love Serena's honesty. Even though I don't think her views on money were fair to Nate, I think her candor has made this conversation really enjoyable. And I have to tell you, it's been really cool to watch the body language between Serena and Nate as they connect more. Now that she's opened up about her need for control, I often find that people can start spinning by talking about something they're not good at. It almost becomes addictive. They just want to talk so much about it. Instead, I'm going to shortcut that and I'm going to focus on who she wants to be. If you had to describe your top three values, like personal mm -hmm. values, would you say control would be in the top three? Yeah, control for sure. Well, my twin sister would say judgmental if she's listening. What else? <laughs> Feel free to brag about yourself. We <laughs> often don't get yeah, the okay. opportunity to brag okay. about ourselves. What would you say? Ambitious. Ambitious. Love it. Okay. Love it. All right. So you have three, your top three, let's call them characteristics, uh, would be control, judgmental, and ambitious. Cool. Love it. That's you. Cool. Now, let me ask you this. What do you want them to be? Oh, God. Like... I think being ambitious, being determined is a really good thing. So I'd probably leave that one in there. Mm -hmm. um, I said this earlier. I think I would really like to get to a place where I'm more generous. Love it. What's I really, the third? Uh, the third, probably, I think I'm pretty thoughtful in certain ways, but I think. I agree. Yeah. I think thoughtful, um, okay. but I guess I would like to embody it a little bit more than my current state. Wow. I believe I you. I, I know myself pretty well, I think, you know, okay. and I, I don't, think you do too. I'm not, yeah. Like I'm not afraid to be honest about like my flaws and yeah. things like that. Well, I, I love hearing this conversation with you and certainly with both of you. So I noticed that in your current three characteristics you have control judgmental and ambitious and in the ones you would like to be you are also ambitious then you added generous and thoughtful mm -hmm. okay let's talk about that for just a second and then we're going to come back to the apartment so you're generous now how would i an anthropologist with a clipboard know that you are generous I mean, let's say, again, we're back at the restaurant. Like, I would grab the check. Love it. When it arrives. Beautiful. Give me a couple more. Um, I would show up and surprise Nate with a really nice cashmere, cashmere sweater. Again, which I actually really did. I did that, like, a few weeks ago. <laughs> wow. Okay, that is very generous. Love it. Okay. Yeah. What else? Um, I don't know. I think... You know, Nate is definitely much more spontaneous, but surprising him with like a date that I had planned um, and, you know, just like enjoying, just like going out together. That's awesome. Um, what about being generous with yourself? Oh my gosh. I don't even know what that would look like. I guess not freaking out about buying a computer would be like a good place to start. That'd be great. What would that um, look like if I were there with my clipboard watching you buy a computer? What would I see generous Serena doing? The clipboard question. The reason I ask that is it helps people focus on their behavior. 
It gets them out of their head using vague words and focuses on the purely behavioral, the way that I, as a sociologist or anthropologist, would be able to observe with my eyes and a clipboard. It gets them out of their head. I was watching this masterclass with director Ron Howard, and he was talking about how he has a checklist for his movies. He's asking himself, are the characters interesting? Are they reactive or proactive? Is it a page turner? And the funny thing is, we do something similar for this very show. This podcast, we have our own checklist. Do we have great guests? Is there a great story? Does it have a beginning, middle, and the end with stakes? And if you think about it, we are learning a lot from people like Ron Howard. Imagine if you could apply the lessons from the world's greatest instructors. Ron Howard, the creator of French Laundry, Chris Voss, Negotiation, and you could apply it to your own life. How much would it cost? Probably cost thousands of dollars just to take a one-on-one class if you could even get it. But with a Masterclass annual membership, it's $10 a month. You get unlimited access to one-on-one classes with over 180 Masterclass instructors, like how to negotiate a raise with Chris Voss, or how to manage your relationships with Esther Perel. You also, of course, get Thomas Keller from the famous French Laundry. And this holiday season, if you give one annual membership, you will get one free at masterclass.com slash Ramit. Right now, you can get two memberships for the price of one at masterclass.com slash Ramit. Masterclass.com slash Ramit. Offer terms apply. One of my money dials is generosity. For example, I love tipping big. I love buying gifts and experiences for my family. And recently, I bought my parents a subscription to Delete Me, this episode's sponsor. Delete Me is a subscription service that will remove your personal information that's being sold online. If you've ever Googled your name, you'll notice tons of search results with your personal information being shared online. That's not okay. It's not okay for you. It's definitely not okay for your family, including your parents. Now, Delete Me will remove it all. Your name, address, phone number, all of it. It automatically works in the background to scan and delete your personal information from over 30 data brokers, but they'll do custom requests on over 580 data brokers total. The thing is, identity theft is a real issue. An estimated 15 million Americans had their identity stolen in 2021. We've had a number of people on this very show who were victims of identity theft, and often it put them into tens of thousands of dollars of credit card debt, and it ruined their credit. That's why I find Delete Me so valuable. It's a service that I personally use and I love it. They reviewed over 4,600 listings for me and removed dozens of pieces of personal information. I knew it would be important to protect my parents too, but I also knew that they probably wouldn't sign up themselves. So I just got it for them. So if generosity is one of your money dials, great. If you care about your parents at all, if you have ever given them a hug, just sign them up. You know they aren't going to do it for themselves, but you also know that they probably need it. So if you want to get your personal information and the personal information of your loved ones removed from search results on the web, go to joindeleteme.com slash Ramit for 20% off a plan for you or your entire family. That's joindeleteme.com slash Ramit, R-A-M-I-T for 20% off. I don't know, not like... 
Don't tell me what I wouldn't see. Tell me what I would see. Okay. Yeah. I think it would just look like I was buying a computer and I mm-hmm. wasn't freaking out about it. I was just, you know, handing over the credit card or, you know, doing the Apple Pay thing. Great. And just moving on with my life. It would be a calm thing. You would know your numbers. You yeah. would, of course, walk in knowing what you can afford. You would buy the thing. How does it feel to really live in that characteristic? It was nice. Yeah. Do you think that you could do all those things you said? Yeah. I think so. You didn't tell me anything that seemed crazy. It all seemed very <laughs> reasonable. I think it's a very achievable goal for you. I love personally that you picked generous. I wish more people would pick generous. It's one of my personal crusades. Now, can we go back to the apartment, to the conscious spending plan? So based on a quick calculation, Serena, you make 65% of your joint income. And Nate, you currently make 35% of your total income. Mm -hmm. You're essentially splitting the apartment like 55-45. Yeah. How would you like to decide what to do for this apartment? Serena, why don't you take the lead? Um, you said 65-35 income mm-hmm. split. I guess closer to 60-40 now sounds perfect, like it makes perfect sense. Okay. And why? Why 60-40? Well, I mean, looking, this is the first time, you know, we've outlined our fixed costs, our everything. It's first time I'm looking at it on a spreadsheet. And so based on these numbers, like, you know, I'm paying, I guess, 66% of my income. So like, I guess two thirds goes to fixed costs. But if Nate is doing 97, seems kind of fucked up now. That's cool of you to say. Nate, how does that feel to hear? It's going to take some time to set in. It's been uh, been contending with this a little while, long while. Um, yeah. No, I, I'm. I'm. It's. It's nice to hear. Uh, it, to be, you know, that it's recognized that like I can't. I literally can't. <laughs> uh, afford these things as I've sort of been pigeonholed into spending. And like another thing that I'm sort of, that I'm sort of like it's in relief now is like in let's say less than five years, it's almost a given that Nate's going to be paying more than 55% of our, you know, mortgage or rent. And so something I've like worked on separately, like in therapy, millennial women love to talk about therapy and I'm one of them is like, there are times in a relationship where one partner is going to meet the other person more and vice versa. And I think now I'm sort of seeing like, maybe this is that period of our life. And it's hard to see it with objectivity when, you know, we're currently living in you know the year 2022, et cetera. Yeah. But I think it's hard to, I think now I'm seeing, you know, maybe this is that moment where Nate's going to need me to carry the weight a little bit more yeah. than I have been. Nate, I really appreciate that. I really thank you for for thinking that. Um, it means a lot. It, it I, I know I keep saying that, but 
I, I, I feel like I can I've been that. struggling, you know, with this. I don't and... want you to struggle. And I, I think. Hold, hold on, Serena. Let, let's let him finish for a second. Yeah, I've just been struggling with, you know, feeling like I, I can't. I obviously can't pay for things for you as much as I would, I would like to buy you dinner and, you know, pay my share of the rent being 90, whatever percent. Um, but I just can't right now. And as much as I want to, it's, it's logistically impossible. And so I, I, I really appreciate hearing sort of some, a recognition of that where I am right now isn't and where we are right now isn't where we're going to be forever it's really nice it's really nice to hear Serena you connecting your work with your therapist with your situation that you're in with Nate right now and Nate it's really nice to hear when she bounced that ball over to you for you to really receive that and acknowledge what she said that is a really beautiful way of talking about money. I just loved watching that. Well, Serena, I totally agree with you. I think this is one of those times. I think it's been one of those times. I think Nate may have been looking for the words to say it, but talking about money is really hard. And so it comes out on both ends. It comes out in peculiar ways. You know, when, when he comes home from work and you ask him, like, when are you going to start the debt payoff? I know you're not trying to badger him but deep down you want control and this is that one thing in your life that you don't have an answer to and that doesn't feel good and nate you know that now and she's even explicitly said oh yeah at the same time when nate you know talks about the check it's not really about the check it's about something much bigger. I don't want to have to come to you and beg for money because I don't have $50 for gas. That doesn't feel good. And also, things are going to totally change. If we can't get through this right now, what are we going to do? Are we just going to paper it over with a lot more money? That doesn't feel good. So I love that we're at this moment where we can... And I love that you reached out to me and that you're also getting help from a therapist and whatever other sources. I love it. Because you're in such a beautiful position to be able to get your process right and then when the money comes in and it will come in to be able to have all the money flow through this beautiful process and beautiful way of communicating together how are you both feeling right now i mean i'm feeling really good at the beginning i said i wanted to feel like i had the tools to talk about money in a more or less judgmental way in a less hurtful way in a less selfish way and i have like I mean, I'm feeling it, you know, yeah. I'm feeling like we're finally getting there a little bit. And I have to admit, I, <laughs> I was perhaps a little confident going into this conversation. I thought I, I guess I didn't think it'd be this hard and I didn't expect to have a breakthrough like we did at all. And I didn't anticipate how foreign it felt for me to, to get to that place. Um, I feel very seen, actually, which is nice. I think it's been really interesting to put these things in sort of a different context. I think that really helps. I almost want to go out on the town and make you my sugar baby right now. <laughs> I mean, no complaints here. I love that. All jokes <laughs> aside, you paying for your partner, 
who's in his residency does not make him your sugar baby. I know. <laughs> just so we catch that. But I love the way the two of you are connecting. And I just I like the smiles. That's what I want. So I'm really, really happy to watch the two of you grapple with these conversations. They're tough. It's not easy. And every minute we spend on this right now will save you years of heartache down the road. It's not about dinner and it's not about the check. It's about how the two of you talk about money and love together. The way I see it is we're only, it's only going to get better from here, you know? Um, and that, that feels really good to say. I received follow-up letters from Serena and Nate. I'd like to excerpt them here for you. Serena said she learned that money can be a sense of joy, not stress and anxiety. I also learned I'm capable of spending more on rent than I thought I could, having actually taken a clear look at my financial state. I also learned that my overly cautious spending habits are more indoctrinated than I thought. Nate wrote how emotionally intense Serena's relationship with money is and how much being in control financially really mattered to her subconsciously. Now, they sent me a list of new rules that they created for themselves and money. Let me read them to you. Number one, dinner and drinks rule we talked about on the podcast. Whoever covers dinner doesn't cover drinks when we go to a bar afterwards. This can alternate. If we don't do drinks after, we split dinner 50-50. Number two, rent will be split 60-40. Okay. Let me share my feedback after reading their update letter. First, I'm happy that Nate and Serena could talk about these very difficult topics with each other, with me, and with you watching and listening. That takes a ton of courage. And all I have to do is say, would you be willing to come on this podcast and do exactly what Nate and Serena did? I think they are extremely courageous. I want to give them a round of applause. Second, I'm not loving these rules. You know, on the episode, we spent a lot of time talking about generosity, but the new breakdown of 60-40 is not generous. Nate is actually still paying more than he proportionally should. He makes 35% of the household income, but he's paying 40% of the rent. Why? Well, one of the things I've learned with this podcast is that people make changes at their own pace. To have Nate be explicit with what he needs is a huge step for him. And for Serena to acknowledge some of the invisible scripts she's carried, for example, that she should be taken care of, that she needs to constantly be in control, and that Nate is her person, but that's not really reflected in their spending, those are all steps in the right direction. Now, do I wish they'd gone further? Yes. Am I glad they came on the show and took steps in the right direction? Absolutely. Thank you, Nate and Serena. Thanks to everyone for listening and watching. I appreciate you participating in the I Will Teach You To Be Rich podcast, and I will see you next week. Thanks for listening to I Will Teach You To Be Rich. I'm Ramit Sethi. Please follow the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you haven't read I Will Teach You To Be Rich, my book, pick up a copy. You can get it at any bookstore or any library, and it will show you the specific tactics for how to build the I Will Teach You To Be Rich system into your personal finances.